Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. All right, welcome to the latest edition to hear that podcast. Growlin, Paul Inner Jr., not Jay Morrison with me here on The Athletic. Jay, no doubt, feet in the sand, Pantera blowing his face off somewhere right now. Who knows? It's, I mean, it's it's 10.07, so I assume he's he's deep into, uh, into, into vacation mode already this morning. But I have... Uh, my good friend and yours, Mo Egger, joining us right off the top today. Early Mo, what's up? Buddy? Wow, how we doing? This is good. This, this is, is nice. Good. Yeah, you can you can participate in the news segment. Oh boy, uh, yeah. It, rather than just bringing you Be- in, hot, because there's so much stuff happening. There's so much news. It's why I was w- was willing to do this because it's honestly almost. Is this news or we're going to kind of poke fun at the fact that this is the news right now? Because the draft is over. We're, we're kind of in the, the fallout stage is even falling out. Like we're sort of done with that. And now we're going to get into the it's the you're familiar with this portion of the program. It's the how do we create something out of nothing? Yeah. A couple of months are, are upon us. Yeah. You know, in, in my world. What we always hope for is that by now the Reds are interesting enough Uh-oh. that we don't have to make up a lot of Bengal stuff. And frankly, I think they kind of are. So uh, that's going to help. But but yeah, I mean, look, the NFL and the Bengals drive the bus. And so like the schedule release is happening this week. Yep. That used to be something that like a lot of people I rolled my eyes over and, and now can't wait. Can't wait. And it, well, it, it, it does feel like it, it brings us at least a few inches closer to the season. Yeah. And you can sign me up for that. Well, it's the last mile post of the off season. Right. So yes. that's, and y- you start, you start planning your trips, you start figuring. And now, you know, back in the day it was okay. You just look forward to seeing the line of Sunday at one. <laughs> and now it's what games are in prime time. What games are right. on a Thursday night? Like where, what games are, did the NFL decide to thrust into, you know, like last year, Bengals bills got that late Monday night football uh, mm-hmm. slot. There's, there's, there's actually a lot, you know, when you're good, it's amazing how much more interesting the NFL news cycle can be for you. Y- yeah. And, and I mean, you're right. You start planning trips, you, you kind of start mapping how you think the season might unfold. And it just, even though we know who they're going to play, it, it sort of crystallizes, okay, here, here's what I can look forward to. Now let's start talking about the season, the team, the, the large portions of the offseason are over, and it does feel like it gets us closer uh, to the start of the season, which I think most of us can't wait for. Uh, so we'll, we're gonna we're gonna really we're going in on schedule talk today. <laughs> Me and we're going. I got lots of I have lots of things on the schedule talk agenda for us to get to. Let's start. We'll instead of calling this news today, we'll hmm. call it news. 
question mark. Okay. So first of all, this is news. I'm going to give this is news. Joe Dan okay. is going to join me later from Fox 19. One of my favorites, uh, mm-hmm. the, as good as it gets in the uh, TV, local sports TV news and, category. And now, like the Dean of, of Cincinnati area sportscasters. No question. With Think Vogel, about that, right? With Vogel tipping his cap off into the sunset, Joe D is kind of uh, he's the, the guy. Man. He's yeah. the Dean. He's the guy. He's the authority for, for kids growing up. Now he's what Denny Jansen and Ken Bruin, those guys were to, to us yes and, and i him and him and jeremy do an incredible job at fox yes. nobody hustles harder always love they're they're my watch when it comes to local sports uh when i have to so jody good to have him on later that is news okay trevor simeon is here news uh sure i mean <laughs> trevor simeon is brandon allen is colt mccoy is Andy Dalton is Taylor Heineke is AJ McCarron. Maybe a little bit unfair to put Andy in that mix. Um, But I mean, is there a real discernible difference between Trevor Simeon and Brandon Allen? I was reminded yesterday though, that Trevor Simeon actually had a game against the Bengals Mm. in which he played quite well. And they beat them. Beat them arguably that, uh, the arguably the best game of his career yeah. was at then Paul Brown stadium. He had three, 12, four touchdowns, no interceptions, uh, Demarius Thomas uh, and Emmanuel Sanders had big touchdowns mm-hmm. late in that game. Burning Pac-Man. Uh, it was. It was. It was kind of the beginning of when you it was that season, 2016. Yeah, it was early on. It was really hot, September, and mm-hmm. it was like the next thing was, uh oh, this might not be the 2015 Bengals all over again. They I, might I, not be so good. I was thinking about that yesterday. I was. I was thinking like that was. That was one of the first warning signs that, you know what, that window has closed, Yeah. right? That 2016 season, at least the first 10 or 11 weeks, we kept trying to talk ourselves into it, right? Like, <laughs> oh, you know what? At some point, they're going to turn the key and uh, this thing's going to turn over and this, you know, they're going to get back to the postseason. And, and for me, where it really hit me was the London game, which they didn't win, they didn't lose, but it was midway through the season. And I remember just kind of walking out of Wembley Stadium going two things, A, they're still serving beer, even though the game is over. B, this team's not going back to the postseason. But the first time you really thought, you know what? There might be trouble here was when Trevor Simeon came to PBS and beat the Bengals by uh, 12 points. But I don't know. I do think it it it's one of the more surprising developments this offseason that Brandon Allen didn't come back. Yeah. Um, I, it, I don't you know. know. I, I mean, to me, Mo, like it was like, look. I don't know the dynamics of the Brandon Allen, Joe Burrow friendship. Like, I I don't know. Maybe they had a falling out. Maybe he like, you know, stole his drink at at an after party (laughs) at some point and they haven't spoken since. Maybe they're great friends, but he just wants to move somewhere else and see different part of the country. And San Francisco seems like a great place to start. I have no idea. To me, it's such a there's like you said, there's a million guys who a name could place in there. Okay, like I, I just I getting worked up over it to me was weird. I saw a lot of people. Simeon, yes, this is what you need. No, if Wait, Trevor Simeon that, is involved, that was a thing. I, that, there that, was a, there. I saw it for a hot minute. Yes. Oh my, really? Yeah, I, I see some dark corners of the internet. Oh. Uh, but you know, so to me, it was okay. Uh, that's great. There's a guy who's here. If you he is involved in our conversation at any point. Um, you're probably not real uh, happy with the direction of the Bengals season right now. I, I joked about this with you, but I, 
I think it's interesting to see. It'll be interesting to see if AJ McCarron gets a shot to be a he deserves elite. one. He deserves I, one. I couldn't agree more. I, I had a poll question the day the Bengals signed Trevor Simeon, and you can do what you want with the outcomes of Twitter poll questions, but I gave four choices, and it was, you have to win one game. You need this guy to win a game for you. It, you get Brandon Allen, Jake Browning, Trevor Simeon, A.J. McCarron. Who do you want? A.J. McCarron ran away with it, and I agreed. Yeah. McCarron I mean, guy I, is still here. McCarron guy never left. No like, doubt about still, it. But It's part of his soul. It's who he is. No doubt. But, you know, okay, so frame it this way. Uh, something bad happened to Joe. He can't go this coming Sunday. Uh, it's not a long-term thing. They've got to, they've got to get the quarterback ready to win this week with the offense they have. Who do you trust the most? Probably AJ McCarron. Yeah. I mean, he's he's coming off playing productively. Was he the XFL MVP? Did I see that? Boy, I, I don't know. I, I don't I didn't know. Track that. Maybe, maybe I didn't not. track that award season. But but like I've <laughs> I've, I've kind of seen him do that here. And yeah. and yeah, Trevor Simeon. I think he was eight and six as a starter, if I'm not mistaken. That that first season. Now it was he took over a team that had won the Super Bowl the year before. But I, I think as as the backup conversation goes, I think it's I think two things are going to be really interesting. One, uh, does AJ McCarron have a future drawing a paycheck in the NFL in 2023? And two. At some point in his ongoing tour of NFL cities, where Andy Dalton is now in uh, year four post Cincinnati and onto his fourth team, does does he ultimately make a stop here and bring things full circle to back oh, up number nine? That is interesting. I don't know. <laughs> it's not that interesting, <laughs> <laughs> but you made it. In. See, that was so compelling. In, like you took the, something that I just wanted to question right. mark, and you just turned it into a compelling four-minute conversation. It's why you're the best. It's in the why middle, the in the middle of May, this is Here what we I, are. You're, you're at your best. I mean, this is truly you're at your peak. Uh, let's go to rookie mini camp. Is this weekend news? Uh, no, no. It's what one could day. Come out of it, and they even. They even took it like most teams. If you saw the list of the offseason schedule, I don't know if you saw this, mm-hmm. and it's like everybody has okay mini camp and and these days and all these practices and 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 the Bengals had like one day of rookie mini camp. It's six total practices in the whole like offseason program. Like half of basically half of what everybody else is doing. Again, you know, country club Bengals offseason are here. We we talk like, more filler topics. Uh, okay, but but here's the thing. Country club Bengals offseason is a topic yes. because, and I've said this to you, the goal now is to get the one seat and you can't start 0-2 and get the one seat. Now, we don't know what the schedule is going to look like. I'll jump ahead here for a second. I tend to think it's not going to be Bengals Chiefs, but let's say it is. Do you want country club offseason and then you go to Kansas City week one for what I think is the best rivalry in the NFL? You got two new starting safeties and you got to go beat Patrick Mahomes. Fair or not, this team played very unevenly out of the gate last year. Now, it's a credit to their talent that they almost won the games. And and yes, they're not working in a whole bunch of new starters on the offensive line. But they didn't look ready to go week one. Joe Burrow didn't look ready to go week one. And no, he's hopefully not going to have an appendectomy or a major surgery right before camp starts or right when it begins. But the idea is to win the Super Bowl this year. And the easiest way to do that is to avoid a playoff game and play all of your postseason tilts at home. And so that, to me, puts a premium on a fast start. And I do wonder, and I don't think there's any real way to quantify this, I do wonder if the approach last season cost them a chance, 
to host the AFC championship game because they did stumble off to such a bad start. And so there is a part of me that would like to see kind of a re-engineering of the offseason program and training camp because I want to hit the ground running this year, especially if they play a really good team week one. Yeah, you know, and but I, I don't know if if it was because of the offseason program, I mean, our, our four, three or four more offseason practices or a focus on it going to change the way they play week one? Or is it about or is it more about just, a, you know, reacting quicker? I mean, I remember seeing this and there was during the the, you know, the Marvin 11 to 15 run those early years, they started slow. And then all of a sudden they started putting an emphasis on it, like not in what they were doing necessarily, but in the way they talked about it, the importance of it being focused on it. And then they really were and, and leading up to 2015 when they, they started eight. No, that year, it's a very different discussion, sure. but I think it's more of a mental understanding. And I feel like, you know, Burrow last year talking about wanting to play in the preseason. Burrow uh, is going to be the leader of all momentum, all conversation, all every attitude in the building. If he, I think, had a problem with the way things started last year, certainly, and seemed to have wanted to put a more of an emphasis on starting faster. I think just that yeah. and people that were through it last year and understand the importance of those first couple of games are going to go a long way. And also, it's I don't. I don't think it's about the offseason program. It's just kind of who they've been. This has been a staff and a team that has done well adjusting on the fly, mm -hmm. and they've sort of used the early portion of the season to learn who they are and what they have, and that's involved some ups and downs, but it has put them at a place at the end of these seasons that has been quite desirable. No doubt. Look, what they, what they are doing on a macro level works, but, you know, again, I mean, you, you couldn't help as you, as you watched the first half of the season, but specifically the first couple of, couple of weeks, wonder, okay, was the plan to just flip the switch when the games start for real? Did that work? Um, at the outset of the season, you can't really say that it did. And again, there were circumstances surrounding last year's team that are, are not going to be a part of, of this year's team. But, I mean, you asked me, I think on this podcast, do things feel a little bit too casual? Mm -hmm. And I'm, you know, saying this from the standpoint of somebody who's not there like you are, it kind of did, but I deferred to them, right? Okay, look, they had the longest, they went through the longest season in NFL history. They're playing a long game here. Um, they're going to do everything they can to protect their best asset, which has been health. And by the way, that also worked this year to mm -hmm. a large, this past season to a large degree. But I mean, I remember you asking me, do things feel a little bit too casual? And so, what I would like is to have a sense that maybe things aren't quite as casual and maybe that translate to a translates uh, to a faster start. And, and maybe it doesn't, but I mean, to me, that's what this season is all about. I want to get to 13 or 14 wins, which is what you're going to need to be the one seed because I don't want to play the AFC championship game. If they get that far in enemy territory. All right, let's take a second and switch gears here and hear from a sponsor. Let's talk schedule. Okay. Yes. Which is news. Exclamation point. We're going in. Let me I'll just let me open it up this way before I get into some of the specifics. What's the first thing you what do you care most about? When the schedule comes out, your eyes go to what immediately for you? Selfishly? Selfishly. Are, yeah. Are there chances to go see the Bearcats and the Bengals mm. on the road in the same weekend? And 
there are really two possibilities, both involving the same Bengals opponent, because UC football is at, what do they call the Steelers stadium now? Acre, Yeah. So they play there September 9th. If the Bengals play on Sunday, the Reds are home. So in all likelihood, they would play on the road. So you could then see, or I could then see UC Pitt. I could see Bengal Steelers. I could see Springsteen and Pittsburgh on Tuesday. Mm. That is the scenario that I'm kind of hoping for. The other thing is they go to Morgantown. UC does in November, I think on the 11th and they play a football game there. And so, you know, Morgantown to Pittsburgh is about an hour or so. So that would be a good opportunity. So that for, for me, selfishly, that is the very first thing I look at. Then it's, are there going to be holiday games? So got three games on Thanksgiving this year. You got a Christmas Eve night game. And then I think a Christmas day, triple header, header, yeah. Plus black Friday. So uh, is there going to be interference with the holiday that I'm going to have to either work around or negotiate or just totally blow off? So those are, those are things one and two. Um, And then look, I, I think we're all lying if we don't have interest in, in what primetime games are scheduled because last year kind of felt like a little bit of a surprise, right? It was the three AFC North opponents on the road. Now mm-hmm. the Pittsburgh game ultimately got flexed out, but that wasn't what we thought. And so just looking at it, because I think it's fun to kind of play along with the NFL. A lot of folks are theorizing, God, they're going to play Bengals bills on Monday night football, which sounds cool. Do we know Demar Hamlin's going to be there? Uh, Bengals chiefs. We all assume last year, God, that's going to be a primetime game. Wasn't. So what's what's the thinking this go around and what are the opponents they put them against in prime time that we're not expecting last year? They put him against the Miami Dolphins and that ended up being kind of a kind of a marquee game, you know, with with how good Miami ended up being. So is there a game like that that we're not really anticipating? I look at the schedule and I go, I just have a sense. Trevor Lawrence versus Joe Burrow is going to be a prime time game. Nobody seems to be talking really about that. You look at yeah. some of the good NFC teams they play. Those could be primetime games. So I think it's kind of fun to guess and figure, okay, where are they going to put the Bengals where maybe we're not expecting them to? Yeah. Uh, I think they should play Bengals, Jags, Lawrence Burrow, which has now become big. Yeah. Like as, as, a, as an ode to the core of Bengals, Jags, Thursday night. <laughs> Back on Thursday, where they belong, where they're comfortable, their roots you know, Bengals Jags yeah. is comfortable. They're rooted in Thursday night football early in the season. Uh, I say you go back, give Amazon a, a bone, but also <laughs> really, you know, to all the bad Thursday night games of the past. I mean, the Urban Meyer, that was the Urban Meyer game where after the game, he went up to Columbus and and sat at a bar stool. That was, you know, I mean, they're Left down, 14, team. down 14, nothing late first half and get a stop. Yeah, and you it can't feels zero like- me. Yeah, and this this feels like boy, this is about to get kind of bad. And they come back and and win the game, and they you know the rest is history. But yeah, that would be kind of cool. As I like ode, that. I like that. I have an another ode, one for you. Go ahead, I have another please. one for yes. you. So I've, I've I call them they're the specials. I got the Jay Morrison special, the Dan Horde special, the Sports Writer special is the Bruce combo. Okay, mm-hmm. so which you you're right and you're in the Bruce world. Every yep. sports writer in America loves Bruce. Uh, so Bruce also playing September 9th in Baltimore. Yes. At Camden Saturday. Yards. Yes. You could o- you could open the season with Bruce mm-hmm. at Camden Yards and the Bengals at the Ravens potentially in the opener. Talk about a getting your football season started the right way. Yeah. Uh also Bruce yes. uh December 8th 
and 10th in San Francisco. Oh my, really? You could hit up. Yes, which is which oh. sur- surrounds a potential early December trip to San Francisco with the Bruce that's at the Chase Center where the where the Warriors play. Hmm. Uh so a thought oh, they, Sports oh. Rider specials are in play there and you mentioned oh. Pittsburgh. You mentioned Pittsburgh as well. Could be uh could be one that could be in play with that Tuesday hangout. Um so one, just a little something to think. The Dan Horde special you mentioned, UC, mm-hmm. UC at BYU got is on a Friday on the yes. 29th. Mm-hmm. What if San Francisco's that weekend? You go out to Provo to BYU. You just Ooh. pop on over to San Francisco if you can get that game in that weekend. And it's a little uh, West Coast trip. See all of the beautiful West Coast. And it gives you the day in between. That full Saturday is wide open for you. You hmm. go to Napa for a day. Ooh. Right, and come on down the, to uh, to the game in San Francisco, San Jose. Uh, after that, there's a lot of possibilities. Uh, I think in that in that in the tr- the road trip world, what is the best road trip for you? Just in 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 and of itself, no outside inner interference brought into it. So the easiest one for me, the best one for me is Nashville, which yeah. obviously the Bengals have played there a bunch, and so a lot of folks are like. Man, I'm I'm sort of Nashville out. But from my standpoint, that's that's a game. I've done this before. I did this in 2011, uh, where I could leave that morning. It's a four o'clock game. I could still take part in a lot of Nashville, maybe come back the next day. Um, and I could do that if there's a UC commitment that I can't get out of on Saturday. So I can make that in one day. Or if the the possibilities there of going on Friday or going on Saturday, dude, it's 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 Nashville. Uh especially if it's a big game. I'm not sure how good. Uh, the Titans are going to be, but yeah, they've been there a bunch recently. And so I, I know there's a lot of folks who are sort of rolling their, their eyes at that. That is, that to me is, I, I like the ones that are drivable. Yeah. I like the ones where I don't have to depend on uh, the United States airline industry to, uh, to get me <laughs> to where I need to be. But on top of that, it's, it's anywhere warm late in the season or anywhere indoors late in the season. So last year, and I ended up not being able to do it because of a UC basketball commitment, but Tampa Bay in December for Burrow versus Brady was like, dude, I, I, it killed me to not go to that. I love Tampa. It was four o'clock game. You could have gone down there on Sunday morning, which I just, I couldn't make happen and, and still gotten it done. Buddies of mine went played rounds of golf on Saturday and early on Sunday morning, saw the game Bengals win. So I love, I love that. But, but for me, the favorite one, I also, I like going to Baltimore. I've done Baltimore before. If I'm targeting a road trip, that's probably it this year. Um, I had a great experience in Baltimore. I've also never seen the Bengals play at what's it called in Pittsburgh? Akershire. <laughs> yeah, I've seen them play at the old dump. I saw them yeah. play on Thursday night football my freshman year. Jeff Blake threw a thousand <laughs> touchdown passes. Bengals beat the eventual AFC champions. I have never seen them play in Pittsburgh. And I'm kind of, you know, for years people would say, boy, you don't want to go there. The Steelers fans, I don't care anymore. Yeah, like, I just I'm going to go and mind my business and root for my team and I'm just going to avoid trouble. I'm pretty good at that. So uh, I kind of want to go to Pittsburgh. So that brings it back to if I can go when the Bearcats are in that part of the country, that would be cool. Inter- it does. Pittsburgh doesn't get talked about a lot. It their their downtown is nice. It's it's yes. it's walkable. There's a lot of there's a lot there's good food in there. There's like it's a it's a good like if you stay downtown, it's a good experience. Uh, easy to get to the game, drivable. All those things you don't think about it because people think negatively about Pittsburgh a lot around here. You shouldn't. It's actually a fun yeah. little town to go to and visit, especially if you're staying downtown. The stadium being right down there. I do recommend Pittsburgh if you've not done it before and you're really dedicated to drivables because this schedule. 
does not have as many drivables this year where you in a couple last year specifically you, you did have a bunch yeah i mean i've i've been to pittsburgh a bunch for reds pirates which is yeah. that ballpark is the best awesome. i've been to pittsburgh a bunch for uc pit which gets renewed this year and i've gone to pittsburgh for a few concerts nobody wants to say this that's a fun town it is and i mean you know i'm not walking around in bengals gear on a random friday night so but Again, I, I, you know, I, I kind of mind my own business. I don't yeah. trouble doesn't find me because I don't seek trouble. Don't seek trouble. That's important. Let's get into some of the specifics. Uh, things to not expect: home opener uh, with the Reds being home, unless they end up on the Monday Night Football, which can happen. Mm-hmm. But I, I, hard to know for sure. But with the Reds being home that Sunday, unlikely to get the home opener. I don't expect the Thursday night opener at Kansas city uh, mm. for this reason in that that game sells itself. That yes. this, it is not something that the league or the TV networks, which is they're they're the ones going through this pecking order, which is exponentially more complicated this year. They're the ones going through it. So if you're, if you have that game, which I think is at NBC, I don't mm-hmm. know who, who yes. has I think it was NBC. They're not, if they're picking, they're not their first pick is not going to be who Kansas City plays on that Thursday night game because that game is going to be watched by a gazillion people. Bengals Chiefs is going to be shipped into one of those like right before their fall. So they always put a big game. Their big game is like right like week four or five <laughs> in that middle where they're trying to promote everything. Uh, you're into the middle of the season. I feel like that's where they would start. One of the and the Chiefs have a bunch of good games on their their home schedule. Yes, there's a bunch that they could put in there. Bengals Chiefs is just too big, honestly, for that slot. So I don't I don't expect that to happen. Yeah. And look, the reigning AFC champions last year played at one o'clock on a Sunday. So if you're thinking, yep. okay, well, they're the Bengals, they'll get one of those primetime games. Maybe, but it didn't happen last year. I as a fo- if you're a football fan, maybe with no dog in the fight, Bengals Chiefs have played four great games over the last two seasons. All of them have been in December or January. A lot of stakes, a lot riding on every single game. And football's just better that time of year anyway. That's when I want that game. If I'm if I want the best possible game between Joe Burrow and Patrick Mahomes, I want it on the calendar where it's been in the regular season the last two years, which which has been which has been late. I also feel like for folks who are thinking, okay, well, they could open up at home on Monday against Buffalo, that just feels to me to be too cute. And I'm not really sure the NFL really wants to revisit that. Plus, and I certainly hope he's on the field. DeMar Hamlin has to make the Buffalo Bills for that game to really be as kind of cool as a lot of people are are hoping it to be. Yeah. Um, let's say this. Um, let's do a run passer boot. What would you rather see the Bengals in? Black Friday game, Thursday opener at Kansas City, or one of the Christmas Day triple headers? Give me Black Friday. You like Black Friday? First like ever Black, Black Friday. Friday game? First ever Black Friday game. Um that's always kind of a fun day, especially if you're not Black Friday shopping. Now, mm-hmm. it is sort of horning in on what has become a big college football day. UC famously played on Black Friday last year, and so um, that's not supposed to happen this coming season. But I, I think the idea of it's like a three o'clock game too, right? Yeah. See, uh, three I think, o'clock. I think-, I think every sporting event ever when it's not on a work day, should be played at 3 o'clock in the afternoon. <laughs> so sign me the hell up for that. Give me the Bengals on Black Friday. Bengals on Black Friday. I like it. Uh, all right. The new dean of Cincinnati Sportscasters just arrived. He did. Joe Danneman wow. is here with us. Joe D., how's it going? I'm well. Yeah. Dean of Cincinnati Sportscasters. The funny thing was, when I grew up and wanted to get into this business, you couldn't get a job in Cincinnati TV until you were 40. 
Now you're 40 <laughs> and you're like the old man in town. It's amazing how things have changed in 20 years. The Dean. Wow. The Dean. Uh, I had one topic that I wanted to get to with Mo and I thought this would be good to join you in Joe. Cause I feel like we all come from a similar place. And it was this quote that came from Jim Harbaugh and it was mowing the lawn is one of the great feelings I have in life. He said that mowing the lawn accomplishes three different things. It clears his mind, his positive emotions of what he accomplished and either making or saving money. Kids should be mowing their lawn. Do you get, do you feel the same way about mowing your lawn, Joe? I have a 14 year old who now mm. mows my lawn. Wow. I tell you what. Talk you about a feeling like, of accomplishment. You feel like a king of a castle when you're <laughs> sitting on your porch watching your 14 year old mow your lawn for nothing. Yes. He doesn't get any kind of an allowance. He doesn't get any kind of a stipend. He just goes out and cuts the grass. I have a very small yard, so it's an easy task. What but I grew he, up. What would he a, charge to do my What would he charge my to do yours? Well, I got to think in modern times. So my dad used to give me $4 to cut our grass, <laughs> which would take me three hours. And I had the worst allergies known to man as a child. So sometimes I had to wear masks. Before COVID, I was the kid out there sometimes wearing a mask, cutting our lawn because the allergies were so bad. So if my dad paid me $4, I think inflation 25 years later, he gave the kid a solid 10, 15 bucks. I think we're in a good deal. Mm, okay. We might have Mo, to talk. Mo, I mean, Mo, you, you have a mow your lawn promotion. I mean, that's how far you go. We're giving away a lawnmower. So I, <laughs> I lived in Sharonville uh, with my first wife. And I cut the grass on a weekly basis and we had a very small yard and, but I didn't like it. I didn't enjoy doing it. And then I, I moved downtown for nine, seven years, never had to cut grass and said to myself, I'm never going to get to a point where I have to consistently cut grass again. I was still having to do my grandmother's. And then, you know, we had to, uh, she had to move into a facility that required uh, no, didn't require uh, grass cutting. Uh, so I said, I'm never going to have to cut grass again. Well, then lo and behold, we have our daughter. We decide a little kid needs a yard and I will be cutting that yard. And it's now until we get to September. I don't want to say it's my favorite part of the week, but it is like I can get 90 minutes, find a couple of podcasts, often including yours, and just sort of do my thing. And I've gotten a little bit too much into it to the point that now I'm like looking at weather forecasts, like <laughs> geez. And like our backyard sort of absorbs water poorly. So you always have to like wait 24 hours. So now I find myself like over calculating, like how, when I'm going to get it cut, boy, I can do the front, but can I do the back? Am I going to be able to get all the edging in? And it's, it's gotten to be a little bit of a sickness. The thing is we get to September and now th the days are shorter. I work until six o'clock. And so, you know, this time of year, there's plenty of daylight if I want to do it during the week <clears throat> and during the weekends, there's not as much going on as we get to September and the schedule's a little bit tighter and the sun is coming down a little bit earlier. And so it becomes a little bit of a hassle to squeeze it in and I don't enjoy it as much then. Plus I've been cutting grass once a week for five or six months, but yeah, I've, I've really come to, I've really come to enjoy it. And I also really enjoy sort of the neighborhood game of Terry cut his grass. I got to cut mm -hmm. mine. Okay. Is Mike cutting his that I enjoy that chess match where I, I try to be out in front of everybody else. And then it's your move neighbors. Yeah. Well, you know, what's funny when I, when I was a kid, my dad wouldn't let me cut 
the front because that's his space, right? <laughs> like uh, he's working, he's trying to work some new designs. Like he wants to make sure it looks a certain way. But we had about three quarters of an acre that would go a long way. That mm. I could have. You could just chop right? that up. Huh? And there was a long time where a good portion of that in the back, I needed to use the, I couldn't do a rider. Like I needed to be out there like with, with the handheld pushing. And it was, okay, when can I get on the rider for the full thing? I never thought I would be back in that place, but you're right. Kids, a lawn, like I'm, I'm, I, I, I wake up in the morning I, after I cut it and I look down at it with pride and it makes me happy. <laughs> oh, look at that. Look, look at those lines. Look how straight they are. It just makes you feel good inside. I'm with, I'm with Harbaugh on this. It's, it's, a, it's a lost art. We, the one uh, this, thing I do miss, Mo, you talked about your podcasts while you're cutting the grass. And that's obviously the modern way to do it. The one thing I do miss was my grass cutting mixtape that I had as a kid. (laughs) I had the yellow Walkman. I had some ice cube on it, some too short, a lot of jock jams. I had a lot of jock jams on my grass cutting mix (laughs) to kind of help power me through cutting the backyards of Edgewood, Kentucky. That is where I fell in love with the outcast AT aliens tape <laughs> was the, the three quarters of an acre that thing went on. The tape went in and my neighbor, I remember my neighbor making fun of me because he would see me over there, like dancing basically and singing. I knew every word and I'm like, that's my time to really like, it's like no one can see me. What I didn't realize was everyone could definitely see me and thought it was a pretty hysterical show, but that's it. I fell in love with that tape mowing the lawn i didn't i didn't cut a lot of lawns as a kid but as i think of like the 90s dad uniform my dad had the uh the headphones that had the transistor in them Mm. and the little antenna and he'd listen to reds games and just look utterly ridiculous and 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 so but maybe if if there's a pair of those out there i could i could cut the grass uh wearing those in a in an homage to him there was a day last summer we redid some of our landscaping and I, like I did some of the the work and then I, I cut the grass and I really had it. And it was, it was the night before we had a, a birthday party for my, my daughter and we're sitting out back and we're having a drink and I'm just staring out at the backyard. And my wife looks at me and goes, you're proud of yourself, aren't you? <laughs> and, uh, I said, yeah, yeah. I, I never thought I'd be able to do that, which any <laughs> schlep can it's, you know, you're just going walking back and forth, pushing a piece of machinery. It's really not that hard. Well, in case we haven't leaned heavy enough into the dad sports fan demographic here, I think we've accomplished that with this last <laughs> five minutes of this is this is who this is who we are. Uh, Mo, I will let you go. I appreciate right. it. I'll see you this afternoon on ESPN fifteen thirty from three to four. Joe, congratulations on your uh, new senior status. Well earned. My, my deedsmanship. <laughs> Thank you, Mo. There it is. All right, let's just take a quick break. Joe, I, I appreciate you joining me. I, I wanted to sort of go this way. And uh, first of all, are you over the, are your Lonnie Walker hangover? Is it have you shaken it off after the Lakers just pulled a ridiculous score out of uh, thin air in the fourth quarter last night? I need 30 seconds to vent here because ahead, I just let it out. Just, just let it out last night. So first of all, I worked the 10 o'clock news last night, 10 to 1130. And, and I did the old school, avoid the score. I'm a sports guy and there's sports scores coming from everywhere. So I avoided the game. I had a DVR and at one in the morning, my entire family's sleeping and I'm yelling curse words at Clay Thompson. Why is Why? it after 10 
12 years of Steph Curry, Clay Thompson. These guys have played in so many high leverage games. When you just have to hit singles, why do they swing for the fences with 28 footers, with 25 foot contested threes with 10 seconds on the shot clock? Just hit singles. Now, down 3-1, wouldn't it be the ultimate get back? On LeBron. For Steph Curry to come back and down 3-1 on LeBron James. If there was ever a script in the NBA, if they're scripting these games, that's the ultimate script. Well, they don't look like a team right now capable of it, but maybe that changes. I, with the way Clay Thompson is currently playing, it's going to be an issue. But I won't. we won't go too much down the, the war. We can save that for after the show. We've already given people eight minutes of lawn talk. <laughs> Let's. I'm going to try to get in. I, I have some debates, and I feel like, Joe, I was talking at the, the top of this show with Mo. Um, you know, the... The I res- I have so much respect for you and Jeremy and the hustle you guys put in at Fox. I think you're the best to do it in the city. I've told you that before, and I love the conversations that we're able to have. Um, whether it's on whether it's on Sports Rap or just around the locker room, y- you know, the TV medium is meant for these kind of conversations. So I have they're quick hitting, but I I want to get in. I want to get into a few topics uh, that I think are out there that sit around the Bengals right now and it's it's a lot of questions that i saw people sending questions this past week let's let's start with this one for you joe what is your biggest concern about the 2023 Bengals as you sit here today they don't have a lot of them they're in a pretty nice spot but for you what is the biggest concern that you have about the 2023 Bengals? Well, first thing, to be here debating Bengals topics with the elite Bengals conversation of Cincinnati. I I kind of feel like this is an unfair fight here. Like you and me debating things. No, it's not. not, We can be on the same side. We can be. I'm like, what is this here? This isn't fair. But to answer your question, uh, my biggest concern with the Bengals is the secondary. And I, I know that might be a minority take here. I'm not, I'm not sure how many people uh, would agree with me considering they've gotten younger, they've gotten faster at that position, but are they proven? And that, that's the question. Until we see the, the Dax Hills of the world, the DJ Turners of the world step in and have meaningful roles, and I would expect both do this year, I think that has to be a question mark going forward. I think that also ties in, Paul, going with the, the defensive line and getting pressure on the quarterback. This is a team that, what, finished – Bottom five in the NFL last year in sacks. Sacks matter. And if this team, and look, Joseph Osai could take a jump this year. They've added depth. They've added playmakers with Miles Murphy as well. I I just wonder if a group um, with two new safeties, a second-year corner in Cam Taylor-Britt, who showed signs last year, especially at the end of the year, that he was starting to come on. But then you have Mike Hilton, who's great. Who's the other corner? Is it going to be Chidabe Awuzie? Is he going to be healthy? Is he going to be himself? Is it going to be DJ Turner, a rookie, stepping in? Is it going to be one of those guys? And will they pair well with Cam Taylor-Britt? And can these two new safeties, leaving behind the chemistry that Von Bell and Jesse Bates have, can these guys get that quickly to the point where they can go out and play good football? So to me, that's the concern is there's so many new parts in the Bengals secondary. There's so many young parts that we haven't seen play meaningful snaps over the course of multiple years. If I were a Bengals fan, that would be my number one concern going into this season. I'm with you. Uh, I, I think it's underrated. I mean, how many times did we hear guys in that secondary last year talk about how much Jesse 
and Vaughn cover up where, you know, mistakes that were made that they just able to correct on the fly or, or whatever it is just through their, their institutional knowledge of Lou Anarumo's system. I mean, Lou was talking to us with the first day Jesse reported during camp last year about how they were doing 500 level masters switch offs on his first day back. And it was like, Oh, this is going to no problem here. They they're starting from scratch. How quickly can Nick Scott and you know, uh, Dax Hill cover stuff up, or will they be now creating problems themselves? I, you're right. I think that's a huge one. One that I wrote about today um, is tight end, and it's it, it's been as discussed as main, many almost any position probably on the roster this offseason outside of maybe running back with everything that's surrounded Joe Mixon. But like, here's the thing: they have devalued this position. The league is kind of say it's not a premium position. There's 11 personnel they run. They don't need it as much. And all that is fine and logical. And I buy it and I defer to them offensively. They, you know, had a top offensive team last year. However, in these big moments, in these big games, they have had many, many drives at the end of playoff games that have not ended well, that have not ended in anything. And we saw last year in Kansas City on third and seven from the 12 in the red zone. Joe Burrow target Hayden Hurst in a one-on-one and Hayden Hurst couldn't make the play. Sometimes you need that next level. Or if an injury occurs to Tyler Boyd, you need another guy who you can rely on. And you have Irv Smith with a significant injury history and Drew Sample and maybe Mitch Wilcox and Devin Asiasi. Like at a certain point, we're going to learn this year a little bit about the true value of the tight end possession position in an 11 personnel offense I think because maybe Irv Smith is great and everything works out but between injury history and he hasn't been the guy you thought he would be since that one year in 2020 um, maybe he can be that guy maybe Burrow can get it out of anybody Uh, but I do worry about the combination of all that there and what that means for the weapons that they'll have uh, in big moments and big drives on third and whatever can they be the ones to make the play yeah, I'm not worried about Joe Burrow elevating Irv Smith's game. I think that's just what Joe Burrow does for tight ends. And we've seen that taking a guy uh, like C.J. Uzama, taking a guy like Hayden Hurst, and look at their numbers before and after Joe Burrow and what they were with Joe Burrow. But you're right, the injury history, to me, the lack of depth at the position, to me, is the big question mark that Irv Smith's only played eight games the last two seasons. Eight! So... If he goes down or if something happens to him or if he's not producing, the options after him are not there. They're just they're just not there. And that has to be a concern for this team going forward. And leading up to the draft, you know, when I sat down and talked to Michael Mayer about coming to play in Cincinnati, that possibility. And we all saw at the end that the really the tight end was never in play for the Bengals. You know, I talked to him about the idea of playing with Joe Burrow. And he talked so much about how he elevates everyone around him. Even he was able to, as a college football player, see that from his vantage point. And I just wondered if that was going to be what the Bengals would do just to answer that question. Because I know what Zach Taylor said before the draft, that he believes that Irv Smith can step in and play that Hayden Hurst role. And I think he can. I think he can. But will he? Will he be able to for 17 games? That, to me, is why I think your answer is correct. I just We just don't know what the injury history with Irv Smith. And I think that has to be a concern for this team going forward because there's not much depth behind him. There's some conversation about Foster Moreau maybe coming yeah. back now that's out there. I don't get a sense that that's on the Bengals' radar right now. Um, I, I, that's a big 
whew, I, I'm, I don't know, man. That's a big risk. There's no way somebody going through what he's going through is going to be, you know, it sounds more like somebody who's trying to drum up interest and see what's out there. Uh, but that's, I don't know that that's an answer. And I don't know that that's, you know, that's certainly one that the highest offices at Paycor Stadium will have to figure out. But I don't think that's a real legitimate answer there. But they did say, I mean, if anybody that listened to this podcast last week with Mike Potts, the 2023 Bengals roster is not set. Duke Tobin mentioned to me specifically, look, there's we're not done yet. I mean, everybody seems to say they're not done yet there, but there's not big fixes. You'd have to be talking trade, a B.J. Hill type deal or, you know, you know how much do the tight ends that were all drafted push other veterans down depth charts and they become a significant cap casualty? It's sort of the other side effect of the deep, huge tight end class is, okay, now these vets, they're, that's who are being displaced by these guys as teams try to save money and cut down in August. And will the Bengals be sitting there with their hands out looking for depth, a depth ad? We'll see. I think that they, all personnel people that I talked to made it sound like that's certainly on their radar for how to try to fix the depth and, and make sure there's a little bit more depth at that position. All right. Uh, let's go an off-season move that you liked most, Joe. I think Jermaine Pratt. Yeah. Only because what you talked about with Von Bell and Jesse Bates cover up so many mistakes in the secondary. I think being strong up the middle, I mean, this that's a, that's kind of a baseball thing, right? You know, you got to have your catcher, shortstop, second baseman, center field to be strong up the middle. But I think Jermaine Pratt has shown the ability right now uh, to take a leap this year. Um, obviously, he has very vocally uh, pined for more opportunities in passing situations. I think he's proven he can do that. And so I think with the idea that behind him is going to be two new people to have right there in the middle, two guys who have doing have done it together now for multiple years. And Logan Wilson and Jermaine Pratt is an important thing for this defense going forward. Um, obviously the Orlando Brown signing is going to get a lot of play in Cincinnati and showing up left tackle is such an important thing for this football team to do, especially after what we saw last year uh, during the playoffs and, even going back to the Super Bowl year in the playoffs as well, is solidifying that side of the line and, and making sure that's taken care of. If someone wants to say that's the most important move, I get it. I mean, how could you argue with that? I mean, it's Orlando Brown bringing in a Pro Bowl-level tackle to protect Joe Burrow. But I think under the radar a little bit is the Jermaine Pratt signing, just because I, I didn't expect it. I, I didn't know what to expect what the Bengals were going to do with him. But to bring him back, to pair him with Logan Wilson, again, they have that chemistry that – you know, that you saw from the safety position with Von Bell and Jesse Bates. I don't think, Paul, that can be undervalued, having two guys who have played together a lot, uh, obviously play off each other very well. And so I, I would I would go Jermaine Pratt as the one move that I thought I didn't think would happen, did happen, and I think it's an important thing for this defense and the continuity under Luana Romo. These are always interesting to look back at after the season because the question with that that I would have is, are you getting contract to your Jermaine Pratt? Because hmm. he was a different player last year. I mean, he took a big <laughs> jump. And how much was that contract year? You see it happen all the time. And will you get that same level from him now that he's got his bag? Or will it be more of a, you know, maybe maybe it is. Maybe that's who he is now. And, and, and I'm not questioning Jermaine Pratt that way but his career arc was okay pretty good all right whoa Jermaine Pratt right that was kind of what happened how much of that was 
a side effect of the play he made against the Raiders in the playoff mm-hmm. game, just a boost of confidence and, and and played in the Super Bowl. I mean, people forget that about how well he played in the Super Bowl against the Rams. How much did that elevate his game and his confidence versus how much was it the, you know, the urgency that players do feel in, in a contract year? I'm curious to see how that plays out. I'm going to have a similar thought in that I could look really stupid. I'm going to go hot take T-A-E-K on this one in that I, I think this this is my thought on it will end up being the move I liked most when the season is over. And that is their ability to mend fences and convince Jonah Williams to play right tackle and play it well, because it's a, it's it, the Orlando Brown move had the obvious issue, but we've seen this Bengals staff do this before, specifically last year with Jesse Bates. They took a very difficult situation that almost every organization botches and turns into locker room problems and all this stuff and and money gets involved and feelings get hurt and they just people just pull a trade off and they worked through it with Jesse for 2 years and got the best out of him and got the best out of the defensive room together I think we may be about to see that again with Jonah Williams, talking through it with Jonah, those relationships paying off, finding a way to keep the line together and if he does make the transition over to the right side. You now have a former first-round pick who was solid and a veteran uh, as your weak spot, maybe? <laughs> I guess you could debate. Uh, I mean, how many teams in this league would take that? If you can make that happen, you know, that's the part of the Orlando Brown move that that would make it truly pay off. I think that will end up being the move I like most is the one that they haven't really completed yet. And that's Jonah Williams coming in, embracing right tackle, playing well enough at right tackle to be a significant upgrade there, particularly in pass protection. And that really being what secures the offensive line from being the complete group that they haven't really had since, you know, Andrew Whitworth left. So I think we could have the same conversation then about Joe Mixon, right? About, about rehabbing, whatever this offseason has been for Joe Mixon and there's so much talk. And look, the Bengals have never said that they were going to get rid of Joe Mixon. They said the, I don't know, the line from the office, which was funny yeah. when Duke Tobin delivered that at the combine. I'm looking around like, am I the only person who didn't get this line yeah. from the office? <laughs> I, I, I've seen plenty of episodes. He had to have just watched that episode the night yeah. before. Yeah, it's exactly right. So I was like, wait a minute. I don't, I don't know this. I don't know this line. Yeah. But uh, I, I do think that has to be somewhat of a of a process here with Joe Mixon. And we've seen Joe in the locker room here for the Bengals offseason workouts. He's walking around the room like his normal self. He's bouncing around. He's talking to people. He's high energy. And so I, I don't know how much of a process has to go there, but it's been interesting. There's been a lot of noise around Joe Mixon here the last several months. Um, there's been all these debates amongst people like us about what the Bengals should do at running back. So I, I do think to your process of having to convince Jonah Williams to go to right tackle and mend that relationship. I don't know if the relationship was ever a compromise between Joe Mixon and the Bengals, but at least from the outside looking in, there, there's noise, there's stuff around Joe Mixon. I do think that has to be addressed in some way for the Bengals because as of now, as of May, it looks as if the Bengals are going forward with Joe Mixon as the guy in their offense this year. So I kind of see that as well at the running back spot that you talked about with Jonah Williams. So 
I'll piggyback off that and lead off the next one, which is move you disliked most. And that is the fact that they didn't just take advantage of a chance for a clean break from Joe Mixon. Like, Mm -hmm. I just think this was the chance and that with everything that went on, on and off the field, production, all the conversation, all the noise, everything else, a running, but deep running back class, a lot of good free agent running backs that were still available uh, later in a free agency that wouldn't have been that expensive. His contract, having to go through all the negotiations of whatever this pay cut situation is going to end up turning out to be. All of that has just been such an unnecessary pain to me that could have had a clean break in the very beginning with, look, let's just, it's been fun. It's been real. Uh, let We were ready to move on to a different type of player at this position and let's reformat. Whether it was Damian Harris or being more aggressive with Jamal Williams or any of these people uh, or being more aggressive with Samaj Pirine, you mm. know, and not, and paying him more even, you know, and, and going over the top of Denver, who knows? Any of those options and paired with a running back that you select to me is better than this ongoing thing. And like you said, it may turn out fine. And and I think if anything, they've strengthened their relationship with Joe Mixon because they have stood by him. They stand by their man through the troubled times, right? I mean, they have done that to this point. I don't think that situation's finished or settled, but I do think that it just felt like it had such a clean break and now it's gone on and there's a it's a weird sort of background distraction thing. I, I would have probably preferred for it to just cut off, clean break, rebuild that up from the beginning. Um, so I disliked that the most. I would have probably preferred just to seen a clean break there, but I am like you. I mean, you can see a scenario where it plays out just fine and nobody's even talking about any of this stuff once you're two weeks into the season. The funny thing is, for this topic, I'm going with the move you like most for the move I dislike most. <laughs> because let's not act like Jonah Williams was very good last year sure. at left tackle. He struggled, right? He gave up, what, 12 sacks. Uh, the PFF numbers say he gave up all these pressures, I think over 40 pressures throughout the season. And then obviously he was hurt at the end of the year. So you're going to take a guy who struggled at the position where he practices and works at all the time, and then we're going to move him to the other side of the line. Hey, new position, Jonah. Come here a little bit disgruntled, upset that the Bengals didn't communicate with you, that they were going to get Orlando Brown. They hurt your feelings. Hey, now go play right tackle, a different position, and be good. To me, that I, I don't know if that works. And so the options right now, we get it. The options at right tackle are a few. They have Jonah Williams, who's option number one. Jackson Carmen talked about it this last couple of weeks about him being there in the mix and then whatever happens with Lyle Collins and his recovery too. So you have people in the mix. I like the fact that they have options. I just don't know if any of them are great options. And to your point, look, if that's the weak spot as a former first-round pick, moving from one side to the other and and playing solid right tackle, if that's the weak spot of your line, I think you're in a good spot because I do think the other four spots are pretty darn solid for this team going forward. But I I just don't know if if that's a great plan of taking a guy who struggled at his position, moving him to the other spot in the line and saying, hey, now go be good, even though we hurt your feelings, is, is a great plan. Maybe it all works out. Maybe it does work out that, hey, he wasn't great there. Maybe he will be great over here. So maybe that's in play. But that that's the one thing that I didn't like was the idea of taking a guy who was struggling with his main position and thinking he's going to be better at a different position. And paying him $12.6 million in the process. Correct. Uh, which is the which is the hard part to swallow in all of this. The interesting, I mean, you know, the Collins, I, I feel like 
it it really I don't have this. I don't this is this is I want to make sure it's clear. I'm not reporting this or anything like that, but just the more you hear the conversation around this right tackle position, it feels mm-hmm. like the Collins thing feels like it's just not going to be part of the equation. We know that you can't have both. You can't have Jonah and Collins and the way that they seem very dedicated to Jonah going out and potentially winning this battle um against Jackson Carmen sense is tells me like you know, they're probably injury settlement feels like it's probably on the way for Collins. Speaking of a guy who didn't even play all that well when healthy last year, but this is a team that went to the Super Bowl and with us within a snap of, of the Super Bowl with Isaiah Prince and Akeem Adenogy and a bunch of dudes at right tackle. And so the idea of having a former, a first round pick and a second round pick competing uh, for that. Uh, the, your weakest position at right tackle where you've had undrafted guys basically uh, out there, I think is a step in the right direction. Um, player set up to take the biggest leap this year. Who do you see? I will go Cam Taylor Britt. Okay. Uh, we talked about that young secondary and someone needing to assert themselves. And it looked like at the end of the year that we saw a guy who grew in his rookie season, not only on the field, but just kind of the way he carried himself and his confidence. Look, he's a very confident guy from day one. He showed up uh, talking like a very confident guy, but just kind of seeing the way he's carrying himself now inside the Bengals locker room, it does feel a little bit different. I spoke to him briefly uh, a couple of weeks ago, just about how different he feels inside the locker room and what he wants to improve on and change. And, you know, he talked about getting more interceptions and and everything that a guy talks about at that position. But I just feel like there's an opportunity here for him to kind of step up and be the guy in a position group where there are a lot of questions. And it's not just his position group. It's it's the back end of the Bengals defense as a whole, we just don't know at this point who's going to step up and really step out and be one of the standouts of that group. So I think there's an opportunity here. And you talked about Jermaine Pratt and the play he made against the Raiders and ending the drought and how much that buoyed him the next year. And it it kind of propelled him onto a great year. You got to wonder if going to Buffalo and intercepting Josh Allen in the end zone and now seeing now, wait a minute, look what I can do. I, I can I can compete. I can play at this level. I can come back and be one of the leaders in this room of a very young room and a very unproven room at this point. So I think there's a lot there for Cam Taylor Britt to take and run with and improve upon and keep developing. And I just like the way he carries himself. I have from day one, a very confident guy, a guy who believes he belongs here, has every measurable you can imagine for a guy at that position as far as athleticism and speed. And I love the speed of the secondary as a whole, but just him, the whole package, uh, whether it's talent, whether it's attitude, confidence, I I think there's a real runway here for Cam Taylor Britt to take off in 2023. I love that. I I agree with you. I mean, and that was his arc. I mean, he was drafted as a guy who, okay, by 2023, we think you're the starter and can be the guy. The The idea that he would put on tape what he did at the end of last year wasn't necessarily part of his projected story. There was yeah. a hope and a thought, but like that he would be playing at that type of a level, you know, it was a matter of him progressing as a corner. And so the growing pains that they went through and Luana Rumo telling him multiple times, never do that again as he came off the field was... <laughs> is something that now pays off for him week one where that the coverage 
technique growth was something you needed to see. Now you feel like you have that. He always was physical. He always was a tenacious player. You always loved his, you know, you know, cam juice mentality and and persona that he puts on it was just a matter of refining him as a cover corner and he seemed to really take that step and now being in entrenched as a starter and all you're right i love that uh i'm with that mine is more of a i would say he's set up for it and they really need it is zach carter Mm. because they never they never really addressed three technique and maybe Maybe they still have time to find the next BJ Hill the way they found the first BJ Hill uh, in you know before the season starts or some sort of a deal, but this draft was an endorsement of Zach Carter of last year's third round pick making a year two jump. They have been very open about the fact that they want that rotation to run deep, and BJ Hill was playing too many snaps last year, it was hurting his performance at times. But Carter's the guy to come in and take those off his hands. And he bulked up and he got stronger and he's kind of reformed his body to be ready for year two. He didn't get as much as they'd like as a pass rusher last year, much disruption. They need to see that from him. It's set up and they need it and he's going to get opportunity and he's had a year to get himself acclimated to the NFL and feel totally ready. I look at him as somebody set up to take a big leap and could really be you know, a future playmaker for this team and one that we didn't really see see it from last year, which would be a huge leap if he could be, you know, what B.J. Hill was with Larry Yoga and Joby. And you look at the defensive line as a whole, and we've kind of brushed on it. And I think, you know, if you go back to, again, and ask me again, the move I didn't like was just not adding a proven pass rusher to this. Look, we expect Joseph Osai takes a leap. He showed it. And man, he talks like a guy who's going to play this year with a bit of a chip on his shoulder. So maybe Joseph Osai is that guy. And then, of course, you invest a first round draft pick of Miles Murphy to come in and bolster um, that production from the defensive end position. But just to, to finish bottom five in the NFL, and, and we, we know, we all know listening to this or watching this, that to compete in this league, you got to affect the quarterback. And if you have a young secondary, and uh, an unproven secondary that you have to have guys who can help them. And last year to finish bottom five in the NFL in sacks, they just didn't get there. They didn't get home. And and to have guys, it doesn't have to be just the edge guys, right? It can be guys in the middle. You can, you can get that rush from the middle. And you talk about Zach Carter hasn't really shown that just yet. I, I do wonder, I, I just wonder that even if he comes back and he's bulked up and he's more of a run stuffer, gap clogger is he still going to be able to make that leap as a pass rusher and that to me is the big question is that interior pass rush from this team that even though they've invested um in a couple of draft picks recently in joseph osai and miles murphy are, are they getting what they need up the middle from a pass rush and we've seen what a difference that can make for an nfl team look at what chris jones does we've seen it the last two biggest games of the Bengals season, that interior rush and how it can just blow up a game with Chris Jones and, of course, Aaron Donald in the Super Bowl. So um, no, no one expects Zach Carter to step in and be that or has to be that. But I, I do have a question mark about the interior pass rush of this team. And you're right, the endorsement of Zach Carter and that interior was not adding to it. And so the Bengals feel comfortable with that in the middle. I just as a fan would be a little uncomfortable with the lack of pass rush from the interior. Totally agree. And I, it, it's, I, you know, I, I feel like 
you know, when we talk about, okay, are there other moves they could do, things they could explore? That's when I look at, I mean, there's some veteran interior defense. You know, I saw a guy like, this is not necessarily about the pass rush part, but I saw when a guy like Puna Ford went off, you know, why wouldn't he come in and be a good backup for DJ Reader? Or Matt Ioannidis is out there. He's still got some juice left. He's not even 30 yet. Um, and and in a smaller role, you can get more out of those guys to, to, to give you another option in there. I just feel like they need that and didn't address that. And and I come, I think it's part of like I'm I'm a little bit shaped by what I've watched. And my career covering the Bengals spanning Geno Atkins's career. It just changes the way you view things. Nothing changed anything more than when Geno Atkins was wrecking games. Forget edge rushers. Like yeah. when when you have that guy, you mentioned Chris Jones. We saw Aaron Donald. When you have and finding that guy is hard. There's a reason those dudes make as much as almost anybody in football. When you have that guy, it just changes everything. Or we're getting something similar to that. It changes everything. It's the one thing the quarterbacks hate most: being unable to step up in the pocket. And I just feel like uh, it's it, it. You're right. It just is kind of sitting there on a defense that seems to have everything. It's the one piece that I feel like they don't quite have yet. So maybe that's one piece that they go to add in the depth spot behind that. Um, let's go. All right, run past or boot for you. You got to do a run past or boot. Let's what do it. Is the a big post game win? Okay. Locker room opens. Run past or boot. All these guys had equally quality games. For the sake of the Fox 19 sports rap broadcast, who are you going to first? They're standing there. They're waiting to be talked to. Jamar Chase, uh, future mayor of Cincinnati, Ted Karras, <laughs> or everyone's favorite soundbite, Mike Hilton. Where are Ooh. you going first? That's a big three right there. Yeah, well, there's strategy involved here. Now, this is yeah. post-game, correct? Yes. Post-game, big win. Because yeah. if it was midweek, the answer would be different. Okay. And maybe I'll touch on that. But Do post-game, it. big win, Jamar is first. Yeah. Jamar is first, I, I think, um, for, for several reasons. First of all, stars matter. He's one of the two, three biggest stars on the Bengals team. We've got to get him before he gets dressed and get out of there. Okay, so that's – he's priority number one. you got to get over there. Plus – you look in every minute matters after a game. Every yeah. minute after the game ends is another minute for these guys to cool down and not be as emotional and be as fun and be as um, uh, as entertaining on camera as they can be. So uh, Jamar to me is number one for for those reasons. Let's get him while he's still still hot from the game. He's he's still there. That's important for us to get. And I do think he's the one who has the most potential of that group to speak with his chest. Yeah. He does it in short Always. sound bites, which isn't great for television, very short sound bites, but he's the one guy who will give you uh real talk. As Jeremy and I like to say, we like real talk. <laughs> Jamar is probably the number one person on that list. So I will run with Jamar Chase. I will pass on Ted Karras. Go to Ted Just next. because I, I think – only because I think we're okay without Mike Hilton. Mike Hilton post game is just okay. Yeah, he's okay post game. He's awesome midweek. Yeah, I love going to Mike Hilton midweek. So if we did midweek interview, it'd be different. So I'm going to run Jamar. I'm going to pass Ted Karras because Ted comes with. You ever notice this about Ted too? 
Every, every Sunday when he starts talking about a post-game interview and the Bengals, if they're playing an afternoon game, he talks about what he's going to do that night. He's like, yeah, you know, I'm going to go home. I'm going to get yeah. with the family. We're going to watch Sunday night football. Who's playing tonight? Oh, the Cowboys and Bucks. It'll be great. We'll get some pizzas. He tells us, like, what he's going to order. It's hilarious. So I just love going over there and just kind of getting his schedule for the night of how it's going to play out. And he also talks about, like, he's going to put on the game film in, like, the yeah. family big screen. And, like, the whole Karis family is going to watch – post-game uh, film session of what the Bengals just did on the field. But I, I do think his perspective matters because he's a guy who has played at a lot of in a lot of high games, high leverage games outside of Cincinnati. So he comes with that perspective a lot of really putting into context what just happened in this game. So Jamar won, Ted two. I, I hate to put Mike Hilton on the boot, but Mike Hilton goes on the boot just because I like Mike Hilton more midweek talking about a game about to happen than a game that just did happen. So I think that's my list. Two things about that. One, the Jamar, he may give you a, a short soundbite, but it's usually followed by my favorite laugh in sports, which is his laugh <laughs> yes. after he like just cracks himself up or, or laughs at one of he He loves to go back and forth and 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 then and then end it with a great laugh which is great for TV sound bites the Jamar laugh i always i always love getting when he usually laughs at himself not not remembering something or something like that uh and Karis he's a TV dream you hear mm. him he speaks in like 18 second sound bites like it's like he speaks it perfectly and he ends it on a high note and then he leaves the pause for everyone to like you know do the line in front of their camera to know that's the sound bite and there's like four of those that happen every single you you hear him speaking and i'm like man it's so incredible to hear somebody this well trained in sound bites and the other thing too with ted would be he's number two just because he'll stay there like you can yell oh, yeah. across from, hey ted don't leave we're coming to you. He'll stay. So it's not like Jamar is going to wait. Jamar is not going to wait for us. Jamar is going to get dressed. If we're not there the first time, he's gone. Like we could walk with Ted out to the parking lot. He'll just keep going on. So that that's why he's just a, a rung below Jamar. But yeah, he is the absolute best. And it's the thing about offensive linemen. Th th there's always one in the Bengals room. There, there always has been one that has always been a go-to guy that just fills it up for us. And Ted Karras is, I think we call it like the Andrew Whitworth award. I don't oh, yeah. know what it is. It's, it, you know, Whit was just amazing at it before him. Willie Anderson was that way. Uh, he was a go-to guy after every game midweek to talk about the upcoming game. So Willie Whitworth and now Ted Karras. Yeah. Just absolute gold. Every time you talk to Ted Karras and the best is like you approach, he's like, eh, we doing this. We do. And then he has to throw on the Cincy hat and the Cincy shirt. Like he's a full on apparel <laughs> billboard these days. He gets it. And he's, he's a trip. I, I have the best time talking to Ted Karras. And, and I, I've gone over there before where he, he wants to make sure like when I'm done, he's like, well, is everybody right? Getting, are they coming yeah. over? Like, can I, can I, you want me to hang out longer? Wait, like asking us, like, yeah. how can I, Dude, this best for you. He's he's uh he's fantastic. Up for the uh up for the NFL good guy media cooperation award. He was the Bengals winner, and he's one of five finalists for actually the full NFL one from the Pro Football Writers uh, Association. So we'll see if he he wins that. Um, I don't think he's going to beat out Jason Kelsey, who I feel like just out yeah. of popularity and yeah. career achievement might might end up getting that one. Um, last one I want to ask you as again the dean. Who's here now? And and you know, we've we've both seen this. I'm curious your perspective. The Bengals have changed in every way imaginable. 
uh, you know, since what post it's uh, we're three, four years JB right now, Pat, or mm. after Jay Burrow, uh, and really Elizabeth Blackburn and everything that's happened in that process. What is the biggest way in your mind that the Bengals have changed organizationally that just almost blows your mind when you see it now? Yeah, and, and I'll answer this in a way that I think a lot of people don't necessarily get to see on a daily basis because I think everybody who follows the Bengals understands the way they have um, connected with their fans has changed so much. And I, I think that's an obvious answer. Just the connection they have now with the fan base is is tenfold different, and that's an easy answer. The other one would be to show how much they've invested in their roster, how much they've opened up with free agency and paid people and identified problems and paid people to fix a problem. Those, those are things we can all see as very tangible differences within the organization. For me, it's just, and, and I know it's the most overused buzzword in any sports locker room, is, and I'll use the word culture, but I don't think it's necessarily culture is the word I want to use. It's the, it's the positivity that Zach Taylor has brought to the organization, that there was there was a need for what Marvin Lewis came with. And I was there for an entire Marvin Lewis tenure from the start of his career all the way to the end. And I watched it morph into, at the end, what felt like a stale negativity around the organization and around the locker room. And it, it just didn't feel right inside there. And to his credit, when Zach Taylor got here, it, it's... In a small way, it's a Ted Lassoian characteristic yeah, of him, absolutely. right? The, absolutely. The unending, almost eye-rolling positivity sometimes from Zach Taylor. Even his first year when they weren't winning anything and they looked miserable, the guy would just keep coming with positivity and creating that positive culture inside the locker room. And now when you add that and you sprinkle in, you know, the best quarterback in franchise history, that stuff takes off. But when you talk to people who come to the organization now and players that sign to come play with the Bengals, and obviously they want to come play with the contender and they want to play with the guy over your shoulder there on that book, Joe Burrow, they want to play with him and they want to be a part of a team that can win a Super Bowl. But I, I do think these guys when they are come here, they, they are impressed by the way this organization carries itself now from inside out. And I think that goes to Zach Taylor and just what he's done with changing everything. This, this cloud of Marvin Lewis that had kind of hung over Paul Brown Stadium, now Paycor Stadium. And he came in in this breath of fresh air as this new voice of the organization and this unending, no matter what, no matter how bad we're playing, no matter how many losses we've taken in a row in my first year, no matter how many injuries, no matter Joe Burrow going down his rookie year, this, this positivity never changed from Zach Taylor. And it has paid off. And I think to me, it has been the biggest change within the organization I've seen in my 20 plus years around the Bengals. Yeah, I, there's no question. I think there's like there's there's lasso levels. OK, yeah. so like every coach has some degree of caring about this, about the positivity or the always monitoring the pulse of the locker room chemistry caring about that more uh you know not trying to bring in zava right like just it's all about <laughs> let's let's focus you know and that can be true in in roster decisions that are made where it would seem obvious that you should either cut somebody or not cut somebody or sign this guy 
but that gets nixed because of what they feel like would happen within the chemistry of every individual room and uh, and always caring a lot about that. He's not Ted Lasso in that Ted Lasso, that's the only thing he does. I mean, he has a lot of other, he, he leans into other stuff too, but he has as much of that as I've ever seen. And I think that is really, to me, the evolution of coaching in the league now. It, when we talk about the Sean McVay effect, that's to me more what it is more so than 11 personnel and like whatever. It's it's the dedication to that culture. I will never forget interviewing Andrew Whitworth at the Super Bowl the year that the Bengals were going to hire Zach Taylor. And it was during that that period. Yeah. And, and he was asked a million questions. How did the Rams do it? How does McVay do it? And Whit, having a real understanding of that as well as any player of, about culture started there every time. He's like, I would love to tell you that. Yeah. He's an offensive genius. And yeah, they've done. He's like, it was day one. It was always about the culture and about the people and creating this positive environment where you're getting the most out of everybody. And he's like, and let's be honest, that's why they paid wit what they paid wit. Mm -hmm. You don't just pay a 30 plus year old left tackle thinking you're going to get this renaissance out of his playing career. You did, but you got him in the locker room. They knew that's what he could bring. And I think more and more coaches in the McVay tree, the younger coaches, the same way businesses across this country have evolved that way with more of a sense of caring about the everyday day-to-day -day lives of your uh, happiness of your employees and how much that means more so than grinding people to death to get more productivity is a part of the new football culture. And Zach Taylor is a perfect example of that. It helps when you win. It helps <laughs> when you have Joe Burrow. It makes it a lot easier, but I do think that's what's made them such a good combo. Um, I, no. love, I, I love all that. Yeah. And, and the hard thing is, is, you know, with the young coaches and trying to manufacture that, you know, because it, it's not everybody's personality, right? No, no matter what uh, walk of life you come from, um, whether you're talking players or coaches, the, these are different personalities, people from different, to, from different backgrounds. None of this with Zach feels forced, feels disingenuous, feels like it's manufactured. It just kind of feels like who he is. And I, I think that just that transparency of that intangible he has, has been a difference maker and a game changer for him, because I, I think guys in that room would see through it if it wasn't real, if, if he couldn't keep it up. And he has. And I think that to me, you know, it, it's easy to have this this positive mindset and this culture and this chemistry when you're winning. But I go back to his first year and I could pull up every press conference and every soundbite. And I remember even asking him point blank, like, how are you doing this? How do you maintain this, <laughs> this positive mindset? It's like that. It's like that Twitter meme of, you know, the guy crying face with the happy face over top. You know what I'm talking about? And I was wondering yeah. if that was Zach Taylor actually on the inside when he was at the press conference. He just had the happy face on for the press conference. But I really do think this was just genuinely who he is, what he's about, what he's made of. And I think it's been a big difference maker for the organization. No question. Uh, well, we normally have a segment that we like to end the show with called Arby's which is any related Bengals insight, extras, and stories, which is just an uh, area for us to just unload something that has made us laugh or we didn't have a place for. I, I have one that I okay. can start with. Do you do you have any any good – you've got you've got a year's worth. We don't have to even go from this week for anything. <laughs> I, I know you do, having gone on the road uh, with us as much as you have. Do you, do you have one? 
I do. And so uh, this is this is MC season. Once once you get to May, I mean, every yeah. organization in Cincinnati yeah. has these events and, you know, they start checking off the list of, oh, this person can't do it. This person can't do it. Oh, how about Daneman? Let's call Daneman for Fox 19. <laughs> He'll do it for free. In fact, I'm doing the Molar Hall of Fame here, Paul, next well, month. And so I've needed new material, right? I've, I've had the same material for so long. My, my new material is something that happened yeah. inside the post-game locker room in Buffalo this year. Okay. So the modern TV guy, right? So luckily in this case, uh, Jeremy and I were both covering the game. Jeremy had the camera. I had the microphone. So I was the one in charge of for our station asking the questions, going get Jamar Chase first, get Ted Karras, get Mike Hilton, get all those guys. But the modern TV guy has a microphone in one hand and his iPhone in the other. So you can get these sound bites right in real time and share them on Twitter, Facebook, whatever you do your social media. So I have mine out. I made the mistake of not turning my notifications off. Uh Okay. And I'm from this area. All my brothers, and I have three brothers, loud, have fun on Sundays, brothers, and all my friends, they're all huge Bengals fans, right? So the Bengals go to Buffalo, and they just dominate the Bills, and they kick their butt, and my friends and my brothers are all excited, and my phone is off the hook, and I did not turn notifications off. So I have microphone in one hand, phone in the other. I have no way of getting into my phone and turning these off because I'm mid-interview with Jamar Chase. And it's going ding, 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 ding <laughs> with notifications. And these notifications are a lot of bad words. Yeah. <laughs> F this. They're coming with like little thumbnail screenshots. At some point, my brothers all have their shirts off. I'm like, what is happening? And so I get this tap on the shoulder. And it's Tyler Boyd seeing my phone. He says, man, that text chain is lit, bro. (laughs) Man, if you guys go next week and beat Kansas City, I'm going to keep these notifications on and you can just see this and go absolutely crazy. So I have learned, I have learned going forward, notifications off when I go inside of the locker room. Otherwise, I look like a complete clown. If Tyler Boyd thinks any aspect of your life is lit, you are lit. That's a like, win. He he might outside of levels, that might be his number one area of expertise. Up we go. Is <laughs> is 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 things that are lit and like things that are look like a really good time. Cause Tyler Boyd, number one in the locker room for understanding what uh what a good time is. Mine is, is just, you know, we I've shared many. So I, this one is actually just from this past Monday in the locker room. I love this. And it's it was the Trevor Simeon group interview. Now, so this you know, when when somebody the locker room was it, it wasn't it hasn't exactly been a star studded affair. This OTAs uh, you haven't had Chase Boyd T Burrow hasn't talked yet, despite the fact that he's been around. These guys have been around, but nobody you, you, a lot of your big stars have not really been there. So, and it was particularly empty on Monday early on, except there was Trevor Simeon, new backup quarterback, and what happened next was the 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 now massive throng of Cincinnati media that never used to be this way just bombarding Trevor Simeon with questions. I mean every detail about his history, the games here, he <laughs> things he likes most, how he's going to support Joe Burrow, what he thinks of the receivers like and at one point Simeon was like, "Man, you, you guys, guys are on it. You guys are on it. You really <laughs> wanted to talk to me." And he when, I got to think, when is the last time Trevor Simeon has ever felt this level of attention or maybe ever will again? Yeah. Uh, and it was just, he, 
he was just really amazed. I'm like, man, this is what the Cincinnati media has become. It's become somebody that can really take back a backup quarterback and make him see what the hell is going on here. You know you're in a scrum a long time when you see the local TV guys start to tap out. Yeah. <laughs> because we're camera and microphone, and that becomes yeah. like an Olympic event of like all oh, the shake microphone from your arm and your arm shaking. I had to tap out after about four minutes of Trevor Simeon. I'm like, I can't do this. I'm done. And so I'm backing up like Homer Simpson going into the weeds there, into the bushes, trying to get out of Trevor Simeon as we did. <laughs> five minutes with Trevor Simeon. I couldn't believe it. No, the the TV guy shake is one of my favorites. I'm always there to try to help. If you ever see me in front, I'm there to help. But it's always who's going to start shaking first. You know, you've got everybody's there, especially like Jamar's been going for 10 minutes and you can't stop and the arms just can't handle it. And you can't switch because you're holding the camera with the yep. other one. You're right. We need to get that into a true like uh, uh, media combine. That needs to, yes. An Olympic event. Sure. There's no question. Microphone hold. Microphone hold. Uh, Joe, I appreciate it. Uh, thanks for uh, thanks for hopping on and joining. This was fun. Yeah, this was great. Thanks for having me. Like I said, um, this is like the master uh, debating with his. I don't know. No, you went, you, you went Larusso and Miyagi. The thing I don't like about that is, you know, Larusso gets the girl and Miyagi. I mean, he's dead now. Like we, this is what happens. I don't want to be Miyagi anymore. <laughs> I want to be Larusso. Like, I mean, he's he's still yeah, living hey. a good life. He's, yeah, he's, he's living got a the great Netflix. life. Got, was like season five of Cobra Kai now. Like, yeah, he's, he's got the car dealership. His oh, wife is beautiful. He's living man. the good life. It's, it's all good for, for yeah. LaRusso. Don't, don't, although, I, I, I mean, I, I can catch a flyer with a chopstick, which is something that I would do over and over and over again is what I would do. That's, that's what I'm doing. So, Joe, it's been a pleasure having you on here. And uh, we will catch you. Well, maybe next time. I don't know. There's nothing really interesting with Bengals happening. So I don't know when next time I'll be on. Maybe right before training camp. Well, yeah, because I, I, I know it's May. And it's like, oh, man, how can we fill time in May? Hey, call Danovan. So maybe, maybe, <laughs> maybe the next time there's dead season, you can give me a call. And I'll bring Jeremy with me next time. And Jeremy. There we go. We need to get Jeremiah in here with us. All right. Appreciate it. Thanks, Joe. We'll talk to you next time. All right. Thanks, Paul. All right, thanks everybody for listening, and uh, we'll catch you on the flip side. Have a good one, everybody.